Thank you, Jonathan. Thanks for being here. It's all yours. All right. Well, um, my name is Jonathan. I'm an alcoholic. And it's interesting. Um, I, this is, so I, um, Jim asked me to speak. And uh, I have spoken at this meeting before. And uh, I, I, you know, I, I, this terrifies me. I don't know what I have to add. Um, I only have what I've got and it, and if it's redundant and repetitive, well, that's, that's all I've got. And I've learned not to give what I haven't got. And that's one of the biggest things I've actually learned uh, as a part of this program. And it's so funny that uh, uh, this fellow, uh, whose name I forget, uh, mentioned a group called What Works, because that was really going to be the topic. Because I was thinking about what do I have? And it's been 33 years that I've been sober. And part of my story... Okay, so I had a train wreck of a of a life. I thought some something was wrong. I didn't know what it was. I thought the answer was alcohol, and it wasn't. Um, but one of the things that informed my life, uh, the very nature of it, is uh, I was severely dysle- am severely dyslexic, and. Um, I went undiagnosed for the most part. My parents, my father was a proofreader and my mother a reference librarian in the cum laude girls, my sisters. And I um, struggled terribly and just pushed through. You know, tenses would change. I'd skip over pieces. I reading i i i learned to make the best of it i didn't learn how to correct it or how to get better at it until much later but that really formed how i sort of pushed through and it informed my journey in aa because what i didn't agree with what didn't make any sense to me i didn't dwell on i just I didn't hear half of this shit for 16 years. I just held on to those things that made sense to me. Um, I remember my horror at being at a meeting. I must have had 24 years or something like that. And it was uh, the 11th step and it was out of the 12th and 12th. And I was actually reading a paragraph and it said, not only will we something God, but we will come to call him by name. And I almost spit. I I said, that would never happen. But I never heard it. It never registered. And in part, that was because I was really focused on what for me was the solution, which started the first day 
I found it. Well, it started, the first meeting I went to, I was late for. They had changed the times and they didn't have it at the office. And I showed up and the meeting was over. And I thought, thank God, now I can be left alone and have a drink. And somebody saw me. And he put his hand out to me and he said, I'm sorry you missed the meeting. There's one tomorrow. And I thought, fuck. All right, then I'll hang out for that thing. And then I'll have my drink and then you can all go to hell. And um, But I had it in my head. I'd gotten to the point in my drinking that I realized that I was an alcoholic and this is where alcoholics went. I didn't know anything more about it than that. So the first meeting I went to, there was a woman. I got there late. She was in the middle of, of her chair. And she said she had a pain she could no longer tolerate. And I thought, how did she know? How could she possibly have known? Nobody knows about this. There were a couple of things I was convinced of. Um, I was convinced that alcohol made me a better person, made things easier. But I was convinced also that if anybody else had the pain I had as a child and struggling to grow up and to survive, that they would drink too. They would have to drink too. And also, I was convinced that nobody else could possibly have had that pain. And I was the only one. And I was alone in this world. And in that moment, those two things were dismissed. Because there is something that happens in these rooms where for the first time I heard the truth coming out of somebody else's mouth. They were able to put words to something I didn't have the vocabulary to describe. And I trusted it and I believed it and I heard it as truth. So not only did she experience a pain similar to mine? But fucker, she didn't drink over it. What the hell is that about? She. So I couldn't believe it. So I stayed. I just stayed. Um, and I... <laughs> And, and at my another meeting, I heard this man say his sponsor told him not to have conversations with people who weren't in the room with him. And I thought, how the hell did he know about that? I'm always having conversations with people who aren't in the room with me. I'm always planning out what I'd say to them or what I should have said to them or what I would say to them. Or I wasted so much time. And I still can. So when I was thinking about what to talk about today, I thought about what are those things that made sense? What are those things to which I held on? Um, 
And one of them, well, so one of the things, I just did what I could do. And one of the things that really helped me in the beginning was reading the 10th step out of the 12 and 12 on my way to work on the bus because my work situation was awful. But there was nothing I could do about it at the time. And this paragraph from page 92 said, Finally, we began to see that all people, including ourselves, are to some extent emotionally ill as well as frequently wrong. And then we approach to tolerance and see what real love for our fellows actually means. It will become more evident, more and more evident as we go forward. It is pointless to become angry or get hurt by people who, like us, are suffering from the pains of growing up. And that sentence, like us, are suffering from the pains of growing up, not only did it open the doorway for me to have compassion for others, but for the first time in my life, I started having compassion for myself. Because I was growing up, because I'd missed so much. I was angry at myself for not knowing things that I hadn't been taught or taken the time to learn. I was angry because I should have known stuff that I didn't know. Um, and so I love that. I, I just, that just made things better. And then, this is my favorite. Because, you know, I, I gravitated toward those things in the literature that were good, solid instructions about what I could do rather than what could be done for me or to me. Um, and this is also from the 10th step. Um our first objective will be to develop uh, the development of self-restraint. This carries a top priority rating. When we speak or act, or act hastily or rashly, the ability to be fair-minded and tolerant evaporates on the spot. One unkind tirade or one uh, willful snap judgment can ruin our relation with another person for a whole day or maybe a whole year. Nothing pays off like restraint of tongue and pen. Uh, we must avoid quick-tempered criticism and furious power-driven argument. The same goes for sulking or silent scorn. I loved sulking and silent scorn. Um, the and get a load of this line. These are emotional booby traps baited with pride and vengefulness. Well, fuck you. Go away. Leave me alone. Um, our first job is to sidestep these traps. When we are tempted by the bait, 
we should train ourselves to step back and think. For we can neither think nor act to good purpose until the habit of self-restraint has become automatic. And that's everything I can do. I can do that. It takes a long time, and it takes a lot of look, looking, and it's not comfortable, and it's not magical. And it comes from, in for me, it came from doing doing the steps the way I did them um, and using them as a template of, of self-examination and cause and effect. And um, acceptance of how I tick, kind of, sort of. Um, which leads me to the third thing that they're really only these three things that 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 have given me enough to work on. And this, oddly enough, is from the eighth step. It says, while the purpose of making restitution to others is paramount, it is equally necessary that we extricate from an examination of our personal relations every bit of information about ourselves and our fundamental difficulties that we can. Since defective relations with other human beings have nearly always been immediate, the immediate cause of our woes, including our alcoholism, no field of investigation could yield more satisfying and valuable rewards than this one. Calm, thoughtful reflection upon personal relations can deepen our insight. We can go far beyond those things which were superficially wrong with us to see those flaws which were basic, flaws which sometimes were responsible for the whole pattern of our lives. Thoroughness, we found, will pay and pay handsomely. So, not that it's okay for me to put my, you know, there are harmful situations from which I extricate myself. But part of, part of my story was being in a relationship for five years that I knew was toxic and awful for after three months. And then spending the next four and a half years blaming him for the pain and the abuse. When I knew, I knew there was no there there. And for whatever reason, whether it's I thought I deserved it or I was I <laughs> I didn't want to be the only miserable one, so I wanted to make his life miserable for whatever reason. I'm the one who stayed, I'm the one who stayed and drank. And 
and rationalize my drinking, you know, to the point where he was five foot four, I'm six foot four. We had our bottles, we had my bottles, and it was just, you know, volume. I needed twice as much. All of these things I told myself to uh, justify this self-destruction. When I came in and people said, love yourself until we can, we will love you until you can love yourself. Fuck you is what I wanted to say to them. Fuck you. Fuck anybody who's ever been nice to you or any member of your family. Get away from me. Because I didn't think that was ever possible. Um, and certainly not possible from someone else, you know. However, As strange as it seems, as uncomfortable as it's been, I love not drinking. I love the possibilities that are afforded me as a result of not having a drink a day at a time. I still love that 33 years later, even though I have my moments of total self-hatred and deprecation, of anger and discomfort and terror. Um, they can all come and go. And because I don't have to, I don't drink over them. Because I have other options. And options I learned here, options I learned from you all, Every last one of you who brought their lives, you know. So I got sober in, in 1990 in Jersey, a suburb of Manhattan. Uh, but it seemed it was very provincial, uh, seemed so, even though you could walk there from here. Um, and everybody was dying. Yeah, it was 1990, and everybody was sick, and they were dying. And I was sitting in this room, and I was thinking, what the fuck do these breeders, pardon the, the expression, do these people know about what I'm going through? And a woman, the minute and I finished that thought, a woman shared about losing her brother to AIDS. And I thought, oh, well, I was wrong about that, too. Again, I learned to open my mind and trust people, because I didn't. It's this, it's this thing that happens here. When people tell a story, and it's awful, and we laugh out of recognition, not out of derision. Um, I don't know if there's that much more for me to say, really. I, I still make meetings. 
uh, secular AA has re-energized my sobriety far beyond what I could have expected because I don't have to turn a blind eye to anything. I don't have to re, I don't, I don't have to jump through anything, you know, and I kept on doing it for a long time. I, at one point, somebody said, so, but have you had a spiritual awakening? And I said, well, I have had a spiritual awakening and it is the fact that I'm not alone in this. And I'm not because you all have been here. And then I realized, why does it have to be a spiritual awakening? What, what's the necessity of that? What makes that more valid than an awakening? And um, and I keep on getting them, you know, even if they're reawakenings like, oh, yeah, there you go again. Stop it. Don't put that down. <laughs> you know, a lot of a lot of being sober has been, you know, puppy training, letting go for example, you know, drop the bone, drop the shoe, drop the shoe. And come back and drop the shoe and come back into the moment, which this is where I'm going to leave it. Finally. Thank you. Um, sobriety and my journey in it and my uh, looking at my patterns and my actions that got me into things. And all of my past angers and resentments, they've all kept me away from being present in the moment. And that's the point of this for me. Because if I am present in the moment, if I'm not thinking about what was done to me, what I was going to do to someone else, I could be here and or not be afraid, I could be here and present and take my next cue. And that's all that's required of me is just to be here in the moment and take my next cue. If the doorbell rings, answer it. Simple shit like that. I hope you got something from this. And, you know, thank you for letting me share.